Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. And I've got three lovely, beautiful, shiny smiles going on on this Zoom call with me. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, Will, uh, who's joining us for the first time on Zoom, second time, well, actually third time technically on the pod, um, was asking me what, what we did on Saturday. I can't, I can't remember, guys. I can't remember. Peter, my fellow... Uh, a podcaster co-host is with us we have the aforementioned will william smith joining us uh first time on zoom at least anyway so welcome back to the podcast william how you doing will i'm very good i'm very good even better for seeing you guys <laughs> excellent oh yes keep talking i like this and we have regular guest contributor andy bass who is itching itching i tell you to join in for this podcast as well <laughs> for some bizarre reason I, I suppose we might get to the bottom of it by the end of this hour or so on this pod <laughs> um who knows who knows um uh, not much has happened really since the last podcast which was a match day special on that little old matter of playing our little uh, baby brothers i do say that um with the utmost of condescension they were, they were formed four years after us not 30 years earlier or whatever they're trying to claim um they do have a smaller ground although they keep trying to get a bigger one uh and um and they are below us in the table so proper definition of little brother status bless them uh crystal palace so we, yes i suppose we could talk about that on this podcast couldn't we guys what do you think that's good to me <laughs> Lovely. And what a day out it was. Uh, for anyone that hasn't heard the match day special yet, listen to that one first, then come back to this. So you get it all in chronolo chronological order and it will make a bit more sense because we met a load of Norwegians uh, just to make things even better. Uh, there was seven guys over for the classic Scandinavian football tourism uh, sortie into, uh, in this case, Brighton and then on to London for another match, I think, on the Sunday. Um our mate Wedge met them on the train. I was supposed to be on the same train as him, actually. And um, he met them on the way down. Uh, they were in the pub by the time I got there, uh, singing uh, all sorts of beer songs and having a great old time, as were we. And that just just made it all the more special, to be honest with you. Um, hopefully they'll come back. They've said they loved it and they want to come and see another game now, which will be good. 
Um, even if they don't, they'd possibly be going to a game where we might be the away team. So we might end up meeting them at another match anyway. Who knows? But that was one extra crowning glory on top of everything else. The rest of it is, of course, the fact that we battered, yes, battered Crystal Palace 4-1. It should have been more, uh, as the song could go. And um, we, uh, we, it was an all-round day of spectacular delights. Um, great atmosphere. Well, most of the ground had a good atmosphere. One small bit did. that got smaller very quickly. Uh, but apart from that, it was lovely, wasn't it, guys? Um, I'll quickly go out with the team. We'll start with the teams, and then we'll uh, we'll get into the nitty-gritty. So we started with Verbruggen and goal. A back three of them, Hecker, Dunk, and someone called Dos Santos something or other. Um, I think we all know him as just Igor, of course. Um, Hinchelwood and Lamptey in the wing-back roles. Uh, Lamptey on the left side, where he has played before um, and played very effectively in this game. Um, Grosh and Gilmore, central mid, when I'm not a further forward, Joao in just behind Ferguson and um, a strong bench as well. Uh, that was the lineup. Who wants to go first with talking about, first of all, the pre-match and the uh, the immediate kind of run-up to kick-off and, indeed, the start of the game? Um, who wants to go? Should we go with you, Andy? Because you're riching so much. Let's go with you to start with. Um, well, um, the, the, the day got off to a great start when uh, my good friend AD was able to get the earlier train from Worthing, which meant we could get into the pub even earlier prior to the game. So um, so the day was already off to a cracking start at the Battle of Trafalgar just before midday. And uh, yeah, a few, a few nice beverages in there before okay. we... Uh, Decided to head up, head up to Falmer. Uh, it's just still good, by the way. The Battle of Trafalgar. It's a change of owners now, isn't it? Oh, it's great. It's brilliant yeah. in there. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a temporary one in there at the moment. I think someone else. I think they're looking to get someone else in permanently. But uh, I like the guy in there at the moment because he's got right. very good taste in music. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> yep. A bit, of a, bit of a bit of a rock pub on the quiet. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so that that was great, and um, yeah, we managed to uh, get the train promptly up up to up to up to Falmer before the uh, the much documented hoo ha that um, always comes with this <laughs> with this fixture. So I was quite keen to avoid to avoid that, and um, and we and we did, and um, yeah, I mean, I was buzzing, I was absolutely buzzing for this game. It was really weird after the Luton. My buzzingness was somewhat dimmed. Um, <laughs> so that was a that was a particularly awful evening, um, but but I was still I was still up for it. I mean, I, I you know for weeks I've been saying that that we were going to pace them because I just think we're so much better than them at the moment, which which we are. Um, so yeah, I just I just couldn't wait to get up there and just just get into it. It was just it was great, and it, it was weird like the whole. It felt low key in town because um, mm. I live quite near the station, and normally, like on a on a palace day, I can hear I can normally hear them arrive because they'll they'll get off the train, and start chanting as they go down Queen's Road. I'll normally hear the odd siren or two, um, you know, a couple of hours before the game, and uh, I'll normally hear like the railway bell or the welly, you know. St- singing from you know from my from my living room I could normally hear that and it was actually quite quiet mm. um, 
so there was like an eerie feel. I, I think maybe because like you know Palace aren't in a great place at the moment. We had just had a fractious week where we got tanked by Luton, and people were you know slightly annoyed about the end to the transfer window. So there, there was kind of like some bad vibes on both sides. Mm. Um, but for, I mean, for me personally, I was. I was bang up for it. I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for it all week. I couldn't wait. I just need to get up there and, uh, yeah. And when, you know, once you were there, you just kind of started to feel it. You just thought, let's let's have it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you had the usual police presence and all that sort of stuff. I was on train down from London, so of course there was a, a few Herberts on the train singing a few bits and pieces. In fact, they kept singing the same song, which was pretty nauseating, to be honest with you. I'm not even sure what it was um, or who it was about, but. Uh, it was it was getting pretty boring, but apart from that, there was no hassle. But um, yeah, it was it was good fun. It was I was eager to get down to Brighton, missed the train I wanted to get. But um, once I finally got down there and into, especially into the pub with the Norwegians or the, the usual crew as well, it was great. And um, it was lively on the trains at the station. I didn't see any of the aggro, um, but there's obviously something happened. I think that was after we arrived actually. Um, but all in all, uh, yes, uh, it was great build up. As you said, once you get into the vicinity and then you, you feel the buzz, and especially once you got inside the ground in the arena spaces and um, all the concourses and start hearing all the atmosphere there, it's great, isn't it? Um, now, we'll, we'll, um, we'll come into talking about your Raubin back story a little bit later. We'll get into that later. But just um, we'll bring you in in terms of the uh, the Palace game itself. Firstly, as context, where, where, you've got a season ticket, haven't you? Uh, where, yeah. Whereabouts is that? Um, upper West. West oh, yeah, that's right. above the halfway line. Yeah, we've got we keep meaning to we've got to try and link up with you during the um the half times or pre match actually as we're up there as well. But okay, so you're in the same area as, as Andy and I. Um, and uh, did you quite enjoy yourself on Saturday? How how did it go for you? I absolutely loved it. it for me, it was a great game, one of the greatest games I've seen Albion play. We. We were all over them in turn from start to finish. Second half, we I thought we fell off a little bit and let them back into the game. But in terms in terms of the game, I think the play the players dunk a few of the players who have played in this game and who know what the game's about taught the other players who didn't quite know and told them you can't mess up tonight today and they sort of gave them a bit of a talking to and it worked because we were outstanding and I thought and I was a bit cautious I was a bit I had cautious optimism going into the game because I felt the reason why I was slightly optimistic because I saw I went back to I've started thinking about the last year's 5-1 Everton loss and then the win that happened a week later against Arsenal, and I thought that was a reason we should slightly be confident. And so I was right in the end, but I was a bit cautious going into it because this is because I was a bit worried they might give us a good game. But I, it turns out I had no real reason to worry. <laughs> yeah, we've. I mean, we Deserby just doesn't do back-to-back defeats, really, does he? No. We we I mean we are capable of these absolute batterings either way around, you know, witness Villa and and Luton this season away from home, but we are also capable of them, not necessarily straight away, but also administering a battering ourselves. 
And that's why we love it, don't we, really? You just don't know what you're going to get. And yes, nobody likes losing 4-0 or 6-1. But um, if it does mean that we're then able to facilitate a 4-0 thrashing of the team who we haven't scored four goals against since 1957, apparently, uh, which is way before the rivalry developed, um, then I'm all, I'm up for it. I'm there for it, as the modern parlance would say. Um and it was great, wasn't it? And what about the atmosphere? How did you find the atmosphere as well? Just before I go to Pete to bring him in. The atmosphere from start to finish was by far the best I've seen at the Amex. It was by far the best I've seen at the Amex. Because oh, wow. the, fans, the yep. fans didn't stop chanting from from start to finish. They got behind the team and they, I think they helped the team in terms of confidence and it's it worked and I I there's nothing better than chanting palace chants when you chanting anti palace chants when you've won four one against them. Absolutely. I mean, if anything, the only issue was there was so much so many people were up for so much that there were, there were multiple songs going on at the same time. I'm not sure we fully gave the right of the the full effect in any one particular moment to to the away fans because there was too much going on that was the only thing but it was a terrific atmosphere um is it the best i don't know it's it's hard to compare with sheffield wednesday playoff and chelsea home game the four again a four one wasn't it then but it's it's definitely in that bracket that's for sure yeah um peter you must be itching even more than you were in the first place to to get started with this as well let's bring you in then yeah so i suppose firstly to say palace were absolutely dreadful it's it's interesting how weak their squad is. So they lost, obviously, they didn't have Eze, they didn't have Elise effectively, they didn't have Gwei and Decore. But we've had equally important players out all season, pretty much. Players like Enciso, uh, Mitama at the moment, Adingra. Um, yeah, kind of quite a lot. Fatty could, you know, only had about 10 minutes because he's coming back from injury. Veltman. So they, there's no excuse there. I know that media kept saying, oh, they went out all these players. And actually, they actually showed that in taking Gwei off and easier coming on and off, but the reality is that their injuries are less bad than ours, probably. The problem they have is they've got no depth, and they were absolutely awful, I thought, generally. Hodgson has lost the plot completely. And the one frustration I had, actually, is that a 3-0, we should have pushed on and won by more. We yeah. were. We were, we without bringing a negative to it, we were quite sloppy for the first 25 minutes of the second half, yeah. and we were lucky that they were so poor that they didn't score before then. Once they scored, we then re- well, certainly once Franco missed that chance, but he should have done better with the if that goes in, suddenly it's a you know, different game then. But once that happened, I mean, obviously the fourth goal was sensational. I mean, that was fantastic. You know, a lovely ball up from Van Hecker, lovely go, great control by Jao Pedro, good run, good one too with Welbeck, brilliant flick through from Welbeck and a fantastic finish. And yeah, and it's, I mean, he, Pedro has been brilliant this season and Ferguson, although he played well Saturday, hasn't quite hit the heights he had last season, but Pedro's made up for it with by being superb. It was great that Lewis Dunk finally got the score against them as well. In the second or third minute when they were just stinging, you know, she said, no, Lewis. Yeah. Literally, the like, just, they were starting it up. And the reaction on match of the day of their fans as he runs past them is brilliant. The anger, <laughs> in, the, the anger in their face. I think it was a thing on North Stand chat. Who is the most pissed off of all the Palace fans? And they showed about four or five of them just, like, shouting abuse at it, which is absolutely beautiful. I mean, and we score from a corner, which is amazing. And then for Hinch to score as well. Yeah. Two, you know, different ends of their career, but two Albion youngsters who've come through the academy, he gets it. 
And the other one I was going to say was, I've said, I've got a lot more to say, but generally will say is, you think about what Bonolte said when he first joined about, he really struggled. The passion that, that he showed when he scored was brilliant because he struggled. He'd been, I thought he'd been brilliant recently, but he struggled at Luton um, because it wasn't his sort of game. In an ideal world, we could have taken him out and not started him there because it really wasn't the sort of game that he was going to thrive in. As a result, he had to start it and he, you know, he could have lost a bit of confidence from it, but what a third goal that was to like from, you know, Brosh winning it back and love, you know, well worked from him putting Anderson on his ass. And then what a pass into perfectly into, into, um, into one and not what a finish and the, the passion he showed there and deserve as well. And yeah, you love it. It's like, and yeah, the Hinchel were just in the crowd separately as well, punching the air. It's yeah. These players, you know, I think the danger is that some of the players who don't come from the area don't get the, the rivalry, but whether or not they look like he every bit got the rivalry there. Yeah, I 100% agree with all of that. And I think in terms of, I said on the match day special, I was looking for a reaction, uh, hoping for and expecting one. Talking about it as a team, really, but also when you think about it, it's about the individuals having reactions. And whether or not they was, and Grosh uh, were amongst those that had particularly poor games and they were really good in this match. Um, I think whether or not he really stepped up to the plate, the passion he showed, you could see he was itching to get on that header that Hinshelwood thankfully wasn't put off succeeding in heading instead um you could see he was up for trying to score and be involved a lot um but I was delighted having you know with Hinch having got to that ball instead and scoring that um Buenonote a matter of seconds later virtually um did manage to get his own goal and yeah his celebration he went piling off it was great but on on the matter of goal celebrations if if you'd asked any Albion fan just before kickoff okay what would you want from the first three minutes of this game? You'd say an early goal and dunk to score it uh, in the usual first half end, you know, attacking the away end. That would be, you couldn't script anything better than that. It was absolutely perfect. And as you said, Peter, they'd already sung the song once just before and were just starting, according to Shibo, I hadn't noticed, but who's near me in the West Upper, said they were just starting to break out into another version of that song. Uh, the scandalous... Um, slanderous um, song that we won't even bother uh, referencing any more detail. They were just starting that and there's no better way to rub that ridiculous fiction crap down their throats than to head it in to a poorly marked um, goal. I mean, it wasn't even in the corner. It didn't need to be in the corner, which made it all the better, to be honest. If he'd headed it in the top corner, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much as the fact it was right in the middle of the goal with the goalkeeper stranded somehow. It was absolutely delicious. Andy, back to you, sir. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'd sort of a lot, lot to unpack there. I think <laughs> just regarding, um, first of all, regarding Buonanotte, um, one of the things that had cheered me up during the week was uh, an interview that he did with Brian Owen in the Argus, I think on Thursday or Friday, where um, he was basically saying, you know, we need we need to win this game for the fans because like, you know, we've we've beaten team it's kind of a kind of a humble brag, but which I thought was quite funny. But you know, it's like we've beaten teams like four nil or six nil before and like all their fans had left and um he said, but Luton we we lost, we were terrible and all our fans stayed. Now I you know, don't want to break it to him, like, you know, quite a few of us were on a coach, so we couldn't really leave early. But like, <laughs> the point stands. The point stands. We were still there at the end, um, either by either by choice or necessity. But the the choice of the fans to 
still back the team as they went off. Um, I think I think the players really appreciated that, and I think that did fire them up. Fire them up. And whilst we, you know, whilst we expect it from Lewis Dunk, who understands the fans, he says we you know we let them down. But to hear it from Facundo as well was was quite inspiring. Really, I thought, yeah, this kid does get it, and he's he's becoming an absolute gem. And he's, I'd say, he's probably way ahead of schedule where we've been planning his development because, I mean, he's basically in there because, you know, we lost Caicedo and McAllister and we've had all these other injuries and CISO's out, um, Mitoma and Ing- Dingra are out. So he's, he's kind of had to come in and he's responded well. He's gone from being quite a lightweight player to be, being quite a punchy player. I thought he was, yeah, he wasn't at his best against Luton, but no one was at their best against Luton and Luton were at their best and they were, and they were terrific. And they deservedly won that game four 0 But yeah. um but but to hear it from him, not just from Lewis Dunk. I mean Lewis Dunk is great because he gets it and you know, he's he's able to communicate that to the other players. But to hear it from Faku was fantastic. But yeah, you're right. The script for the first goal is exactly what every Albion fan would want. Lewis Dunk in front of them, right at the beginning, just quashing their hopes. And dreams stuffing their slanderous song right down their throats immediately. And you know what? From a defensive po- point of view, it was rubbish. I mean, the amount of times we've let in a goal like that, and now we're scored. Now, now we're on the other end of it. It's great, and we actually scored it. I mean, and I don't know what Anderson was doing. He had he clearly had no idea that Dunk was behind him. Yeah, I mean, and Anderson's a player who's who's been credited with some good defensive. Working yeah, there. yeah, he's had some. He's had some good games against the Sanderson in the, in the past. Yeah, but they were just cl- they were utterly clueless. And uh, yeah, just a brilliant finish from from Lewis. I loved his celebration. You know, he he, he didn't he didn't milk it. You know, he yeah. didn't go overboard, but he did let them know that he was aware. He just smiled on he a did let, he, he did let them know he was aware of who he was running. But then he saved the major celebration for the Albion fans. But oh, brilliant! Absolutely, absolutely great! And it just—that's it. I think every, you know, most people's anxieties were—you know—we glanced the boil of anxiety in in the ground. We were able to celebrate and get on, get on it. And to be honest, from then on, we were we were in control of the game. Hmm. But, we were imperious, weren't we? Yeah. We really were. And I know it's mentioned already that we took our foot off the pedal in it. And it is a shame. And I did say on the match day special, I wanted blood. I wanted equal um, retribution for the uh, and revenge for the 5 0, plus a bit of interest. And I know we didn't get that. And we could have got that. This was the game. It probably will be the only time we'll ever have such a good opportunity. Maybe not, but it probably will be for us to have actually scored by more than a 5 0 margin. And we could easily have done that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh... But you we'll know, get into the second half performance just yet, but I do have a few comments on that. But I'm not, yeah. I'm not that fast. I think it was, I think it was a humiliating defeat for Palace. Yeah, for given, many, given many the protests and the disharmony, and the, we'll talk about the second half as you said, the reaction of the fans and the banners that have carried on going, and all the vitriol for Roy Hodgson, and there's varying degrees of disharmony about Roy Hodgson, which we'll get onto later as well. But all of that stuff. Plus the fact that Dunk scores in front of the away ends, plus the fact it's a nice solid battering anyway, 
plus the fact they, they, they're kept in a relegation worry despite various circumstances that might spoil that. Um, there's a number of reasons why 4-0 is highly satisfactory. Uh, 4-1, sorry, is highly satisfactory in the end. Um, the the only margin of victory significant since the 5-0 has been in our favour on two, three occasions, hasn't it? I think, if I'm not mistaken. We um, both won 3-0 the playoff season. Sorry? We both won 3-0 at home the, the playoff season. Oh, yeah, there is that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, there's the one time they, they got a decent score against us. But overall, I think we've had the better of it since uh, since that 5-0 pretty firmly now. We've we, now won more in the Premier League than they have, definitely. Ah, which is great. And also, the, yeah, the head-to-head has now expanded. We got four points against them last year. Same again this year. All of that's great. Uh, and on top of which, by the way, just to mention, Roberto De Zerbi's 100th league goal um, was that Lewis Dunk goal uh, as well. Which oh, is fantastic. Yeah. I, I only realised on Match of the Day, they, they had it up as the little caption mm. on there, which is great. So I know, Peter, you wanted to come back in and also I think uh, Will wants to come in afterwards. So, Pete, to you first. It was just a quick comment to Anderson about the fact that he showed far more fight with his own fans than uh, he did on the pitch, pretty much. <laughs> I like that. Short, sweet, uh, well, very sweet. I like it. And Will, um, I, I've got, I've got, I, I saw, um, I sort of can. I don't. I sort of want to commend for Palace fans who stayed until the final whistle. I thought, even though their team got thrashed, I thought it was good that they stayed until the final whistle to get. Even though they got thrashed, they they still they still wanted to be there. I mean, I don't. The fans that left before it wasn't great from them. They should get behind the team, even if you're going for a heavy defeat. We could, I mean, I, it's a shame I didn't know about this point in advance because we could have probably sourced who who the 25 were and we could have named them individually, I suppose, give them full credit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to, I had to. So, <laughs> I, agree, I agree with you in a way, Will, yeah. I mean, I think those that did stay obviously are fiercely loyal or very keen to have a, a pop at the players, one or the other, probably both, to be honest. But, uh, I mean, yeah, that's what you should do, isn't it? When you're, when you're up, particularly against your rivals, the worst thing you can do is leave en masse, which a lot of them did, even in the, seemed in the first half or at half time, um, which doesn't look great, does it? When you're playing your rivals away from home, they're already scorning you. It just adds an extra element, doesn't it? So for those that did stay, fair play. I, I agree with you. Uh, hats off to them. That's what I would do. Um, probably. I've never left a game early. Well, one or two for slightly early, but only for compulsory practical reasons. Though I've, I've never left a game emotively early. Um, but I think they were in the minority, weren't they, ultimately? But yeah, fair play to them. I mean, I've got, I've got no issue with those things to stay because it has to have been hard to do that. But we did it in the 5 0. We stayed behind. And um, yeah. so it's kind of like that, isn't it? Stay behind for hours. Oh, yeah, and we stay for hours. <laughs> I, I wish I'd left early on the basis that it would have been nice to oh, not lose about three hours of my life. That. But, apart from that, <laughs> but go, sorry, Will, were you going to go on to say something else as well on that, or just on that matter? No, 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 it's all, no, I wasn't. Yeah, I mean they 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 went in huge numbers. Um, I don't, I'm not sure I've seen 
an exodus quite like that at the Amex. I'm trying to remember now. I'm not the greatest for remembering details. Peter's probably the man on this one. But, um, I mean, that was huge numbers left. I think they have – I don't know what they have. They don't have the exact full normal allocation to that. I think they have – is it 2,100 or something like that they're given for our games? Um, And I would say that by the start of the second half, um, we were probably down to – what, 15, 1,600, and then a noticeable number of further exoduses, exodi, whatever it's called, um, had occurred by that point. Um, Peter, can you remember anything like that? Before? No, I, I can't. I mean, it's pretty pathetic, really. And then, I mean, it, it, we were at, obviously it, at Luton on Tuesday. Well. There was nothing like that, and the trains were on strike, and, you know, there were some people who left at 4-0, but not many, whereas, like, especially, I mean, when it went 4-1, they basically, it was a mass walkout again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I mean, they, it, it was pathetic from them. There's just like a bunch of whiny gets feeling sorry for themselves. Um, you know, this has been coming for a long time, and and I just, you know, they they view themselves as this great fan base, like brilliant energy and stuff. Absolutely zero support for their team on on uh, on Saturday. But also, like, no real passion in trying to get any real change at their club. You know, I mean, they can't talk to us about that. This, you know, this is a club that is born hmm. through fans' engagement and the the part that fans played in say, in saving the club and stuff. And for them, just to sort of like, yeah, because like, you know, their their football's boring. So yeah, that's moaning. But but you know, that's that's that that's their club philosophy. They've continued to sort of back Parish up, up until this particular point with all this very short-sighted decision-making that, that he's done. Just nonsense. It's just nonsense. My, you know, they've got, like, one of their vloggers walked out at 60, 65 minutes, didn't even yeah, see I their saw that. Yeah. Absolutely hilarious. I just thought, you know, call yourself a supporter. Rubbish. Yeah. And, um, and the thing about everybody, uh, you know, staying at Luton, we could have booed the team off hmm. at Luton. You know, there was a boo-worthy performance. It was terrible. But I think most people acknowledged how well Luton played. and So we so we could have had a go at them, but we didn't. We knew what game was coming up. The next game was coming up was Palace. So we're not going to send them off with a flea in there. We're going to show them some support and actually support the team. And I, th- I think that made a massive difference. To our performance on on Saturday, they we were fired up. There was only one team in it, really, for for eighty of the ninety minutes. I think it's because we're in a good place, aren't we? And obviously, it's contextual. I think if you're if you're generally doing well, you have one absolute mare like the Luton game. I think you could take that in your stride a lot more. To be fair, um, but I do think Palace fans, even in the earlier part of the season, I thought they were noticeably poor poorer than normal and I think they are an overrated fan base in terms of vocals and noise and all the all the rest of it um it's easy in an old-fashioned stadium with the acoustics the way they are and if you if you bring a drum contemptibly along um the one thing with that is it will keep noise going longer and off more often that's just a, a scientific default it isn't doesn't mean they're better fans loads of other clubs have drums and they their support could be described as great but this season's away game, they were noticeably poorer than normal. And they were terrible in this game. They're normally 
they make a lot of noise normally when they come to the Amex. We don't hear it. We can see it, but we can't hear it because we're making a load of noise. But I, I thought that was very, very symptomatic of the status they're in at the moment in terms of they're not in a good place. There's obviously disharmony between uh, owners and fans, a pretty significant degree of disharmony between manager and player uh, and fans as well, players and fans as well. Um, and I love to see it. It was great timing, wasn't it, to be able to see, have that showcased. And the fact they went on mass just yeah. added an extra element. If any Palace fans are listening for the opposition view, I very much doubt they want to hear any of this. So I very much doubt it. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they should take it as a cue to reflect um, yeah. on that and actually try and live up to their own hype. And like maybe if they got behind the team a little bit, I know things aren't great there at the moment, but it's not cataclysmically bad. It's not, you know. No, they're, to... they've gone stagnant in the Premier League. And but for some other circumstances, they might have a much stronger chance of going down. But they're in the Premier League. You know, they are the same size, roughly speaking, as as a number of other clubs who are much lower down the ranks. Um, you can look at the QPRs, you can look at the Stokes, the Watfords, whoever it is. There's a whole load, load of clubs that are roughly the same kind of size. And yet Palace have been in the top flight for, what is it, 11 years now, including this season? Nothing. On, and they're probably not going to go down and they'll probably change managers and they might improve, even though apparently Steve Cooper's turned them down, which I find absolutely magnificent if it's true. But nonetheless, yeah, it could be a lot worse, really. All they've done is they've stood still when you can't afford to do that in the Prem. Uh, that's all that's really happened here so far. I couldn't understand week to week to week with all this happening. They'll get pissed off, but they could be a lot worse off and they could be better. I think. Uh, Peter? Yeah, I was going to say, in fairness to Palace fans, it's quite hard to be passionate about something that was formed in 2010, so, you know. (laughs) Yes, yeah, forget my 1905, you're right. Maybe they're just just getting getting their sea legs. I think the big big problem... I I think the problem for them is they've been doing this for a while and been quite lucky that other teams have been below them for a while. The issue they have is that we're doing so well. And they can see, you know, they, they, I don't know what they were doing in the summer when they kept Hodgson on. But, I mean, you know, we had two weeks and we took two weeks. We got the Zerbian when, when Potter left. Whereas they got Hodgson into a stopgap. They had months to try and work out who would succeed. And they then went for the cheap option. And, yeah, and they've, I mean, they've, they've you know, lost Zaha, not really replaced him. They bought a £20 million goalkeeper in when they've had a perfectly good goalkeeper anyway. And spent a lot of their money in the summer on that. They've. And at some point soon, they're going to have to sell like Elise and Gwetty and that gay and that sort of thing. And then they're going to, you know, if they don't buy well, they might actually go down, especially next season with the teams that might come up being pretty strong. Hmm. That could be their year if they lose like two or three of their best players and don't replace them well. You know, I mean, if, certainly based on testing, their new right back wasn't very good. Lamptey gave him an absolutely torrid time. That's great, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then you, um... and then you central midfielder gave away the ball for their, for the third goal. So, uh, Costing a great start for those two. Yeah, I mean, I'll bring Will back in on this one as well. I think um, the thing for me as well is that looking at um, they okay, they have had all of their key players have been injured. We've had uh, apparently Elise and um, and Eza have not been able to get in the same team hardly at all this season, and that is obviously a major issue for them. Gay getting injured quite early into this match. He's a very good defender. He's I think he probably is. Well, he's certainly their best defender. He's one of their two or three best players. Him getting injured early on and having to be replaced, uh, replaced by Wharton and a, a, 
an arrangement shift in the team to bring in their new signing midfielder who's not fully attuned to the team yet because he's only been there two or three days. All of that, I understand that. And obviously, Decorey as well. So if you if you name their four best players, we probably just mentioned them there, haven't we? Um, and we're not talking about Wharton, the other four that have been established. Um, that is difficult, but we've had more than our four best players injured, as you said, Peter, earlier on. We've had Enciso, Mitama, March, um, on occasions, Dunk or Van Hesterpinian. Mr. Pinion's been out. We've uh, and Lamptey as well on his day is great. And, and since October, we've had a lot of players out this Ferguson, season. And... Welbeck, you know, it's a matter, as you said, of strength and depth. If they and had their our injury list, they'd be bottom three currently. Yeah, if they had our injury list this season, and that's been and that's been for months. It's been since October. Mm. We haven't had. Yeah, they have had they injuries. Fall. I'm yeah. not saying they haven't, but so's everybody. So's yeah. everyone. Every club's had that. And it does show the strength and depth is not there. And that, I think, is one of the issues Palace fans have with uh, the way it's been run. They, they don't have, seem to have a vision. They don't seem to have a plan. And they don't seem to be building strength and depth. Now, I know they made, made a couple of signings in January, and they might help in the long term. We'll see. Uh, Wharton and, is it Munoz or whatever his name is? Um, but they, they need more than that. They're still a weak-looking squad. But, Will, would you, uh, I was going to say, I want to bring you back in at this point. What, what do you think about Oldfield? Have you got any anything further to add? Do you think on the Palace side of things? Um, I felt yes, they had key players out. Um, it doesn't really help when um, the main star, the main star of your team's flowing at attacking play, goes off injured straight after coming on. But um, I think they they just. They just didn't look great. They they haven't looked great recently either. Apart from that, I mean, hmm. they on, they only won barely, but uh, barely against Sheffield United, and and they and apart from that, they've just looked. They've just looked. They haven't looked great either. I mean, their attacking play wasn't great. Their defensive side just. Couldn't be bothered to turn up, I thought. And the midfield was just, it was sloppy, I thought. Yeah, disorganisation and, and disarray, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I thought, and I think Hogson's a very experienced manager, don't get me wrong, but I think you need a more progressive manager for this progressive manager with attacking football who can... Who can? Who's got more of an eye for things and can and can win win games more convincingly than with Hogson in? He did a great job keeping them up last year. Don't get me wrong, but I think they just need a fresh a fresh change and someone with new ideas and a progressive manager. Yeah, and they, they need to have a, a more coherent, longer-term plan as well because I think they, they've tried to do that and it hasn't worked. So they've tried it twice, haven't they? Frank de Boer and then Patrick mm. Vieira. Um, should they have given Vieira longer because he had an easier run of fixtures, etc.? Maybe, and I think they probably should. But there doesn't seem to be that bigger picture plan. I'm not saying like the Albion, but like any normal club. And I do think Roy Hodgson is pretty much the the head coach manifestation of that thinking it's kind of stagnant isn't it it's sticking to the tried and tested and 
just the safe, just about get by option. And I think Parish and the owners, from what I've seen of the owners so far, and Hodgson are all on almost like the same axis in that regard. As you said, the word progress, I think that's exactly the word. There's a lack of it, isn't there, with Palace? And I think the Palace fans can see that. They can see that Hodgson is is the manifestation of that regime. Uh, he, he represents it perfectly. Um, sort of safe-ish, sort of all right. As you said, very experienced, but not really going anywhere with it. And the fans, rightly or wrongly, want more. I'm not really sure we're talking about an Alan Kirbishley, Charlton, be careful what you wish for thing here. But I do think the transition from what they do with Hodgson versus what they're trying to do intermittently with more progressive managers is a difficult shift. And I don't think they've got they've got enough wherewithal to make the right appointments and to have the balls to stick with it for long enough. So they're in a bit of a they're in a bit of a rut here. I think they're in a little bit of a sticky scenario, and they're lucky that there's three teams that have struggled this season. Luton are looking like they might not struggle that much. And the 4-0 had another bonus element, apart from the potential reaction from our players, was that we um, we helped harm their cause by letting Luton thrash us. But also, you've, you've obviously got to take into account... Part of the plan. It's master plan, yeah. But you've got the points deductions for Forrest and Everton and who, who knows what else might hinder Palace going down. But they are really sailing close to the wind. Aren't they, Peter? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think you're right about the be careful what you wish for, with Kirby, sort of equivalent sort of thing. But on the other hand, they, it is like that, actually, in a way, because, I mean, they're not doing that well. And they've, yeah, the, what they've done recently with those two managers, with Deboru lasted, what, six or seven games, like that, six, seven games. And, yeah, Vieira, who had a one bad run and, and, then, and then was, yeah, as you say, thrown out after a really good, really difficult run of games when... And then Hodgson came in for the much easier ones. It's mm. you know, and you, you look at back at Potter and how the runs he had with Albion, including that last season, which we ended up doing really well in. We lost six in a row. Andrew at home to Norwich in the, the following game, and no one at home to Norwich. And we looked, we didn't win in nine in the in the winter. They wouldn't have stuck by him then, which is a sign to me. Of, and then they would, if they go back to Hodgson, it's a sign you've got no long term plan. There's no thought. Well, actually, we should carry on with what you're doing with Vieira, it actually kind of, you know, what made them think that Hodgson was going to be that different from the manager they sacked two years before or whatever, a year and a half before? And, you know, they've, they've clearly got it wrong again and something's got to give as far as, like, you know, you can see from their point of view, you know, is there any sign that their their signings are going to be any better if they, if they you know, if they're going to have quite a bit of money to spend soon because they'll have to sell Gay and uh, at least a couple of one of Elise and Eze. Would you trust the chairman with that money or the, the owners? Hard to tell at the moment, given what they've done recently. I think, for me, the response to this, I think, I, I want to get Andy in on this as well, because I know you want to come on to, on this, but I think Gary O'Neill is an interesting name to throw in at this point, because I thought he did a brilliant job at Bournemouth. He was really unlucky to lose his job. Um, Araola came in and initially did very well, and they're still struggling a bit. I do think it's been a brave, but slightly successful switch to a more progressive style, but it's been risky. That's the sort of risk Palace want to take. The irony is Gary O'Neill has gone from strength to strength under under Wolves. I think they're looking really good. They were very unlucky against Man United. They deserved the draw against us for the way how well organised they were. And of course, um, we'll get on to the Chelsea game. I know you want to have a, a, a laugh about Chelsea later, but they they got a, a really good good solid win with lots of goals as well at Chelsea. So 
it's funny, isn't it? Because O'Neill, you would think, would be the less progressive choice based on Bournemouth's decision to change. And yet Wolves are ahead of them in the table and they're playing, I think, better football than probably Bournemouth were under O'Neill, I think. And that obviously is to do with Portuguese players who have some flair, yeah. But um, it's, it's a delicate balance, isn't it? It's not easy to get it right. So Palace fans are in a difficult predicament because... How much do you want the change, and what what are you expecting from that change? I don't know. It's kind of a tricky one. And I feel sorry for them. Yes, of course you do, Peter. I'm sure you do. <laughs> uh, by the way, Andy, you and I are drinking red wine, if I'm not mistaken. We are um, indeed. I, I mean, I, I do like a bit of the grape. I was thinking of going a bit fizzier today. Uh, I would have done, in fact, uh, but for the fact that I don't have any in the house at the moment. But um, this will do as celebratory... Uh, uh, Quaffage, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to Rome tomorrow, so I've got a nice Barbera oh. Diasti. Vaberni. Uh, Cheers. Yeah. And uh, salute. Yeah. Salute. Sounds like one of our summer signings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got one of them lined up already, haven't we? We'll talk about that later on in oh. part. But Is anyway, you know, it, well, has, it, it, I mean, it's been really great chatting about how terrible Palace are and, yeah, the predicament they're in. Um, because. And I, I think you're right, Russ. They're, they're sort of stuck between the rock and the hard place now because because of the decisions they made, because of what they did to De Boer and Vieira, I think they're making more progressive managers be slightly more wary about mm-hmm. taking that position there. And, you know, I mean, really, I think Alice should just not be afraid of going down. If I was running that team, and, you know, I wouldn't want it. I mean, I'd obviously want to stay, want to stay up. But, but come up with a plan stick with it and and see if it works. So, you know, it's kind of what Bernie did. They went down. It's kind of what they're doing right now. They're going to stick with company. They like what he's doing, even if even if they're probably going to go down. I suspect that they would come up again um, mm. next season because they, they, they know, at least they have an idea of what they're doing. I think if Palace went down this year, not a chance they're coming back up. But mm. um, because they don't know what they're doing. They literally don't know what they're doing. But... Why don't we talk about the 33rd and 34th minutes? Yes, let's. Because those were (laughs) wonderful moments, weren't they? It was great. 1-0 up, dominating the game. We get the second goal we thoroughly deserved. And although Schlupp had had at least one of his chances by then, but quite rightly... We the back pass, so I was surprised we didn't get an indirect free kick for that. Yeah. Um, And yeah, we we got those two goals. So Dunk had scored, and we get the other two, the Hinchelwood header and the finish... Uh, from Buenanote, we were talking about earlier. Let's talk about that fantastic period because we were playing really well. I think we'd already had a header. Actually, that was Buenanote, wasn't it? It, it was Buenanote. Yeah. That yeah. other header as well. Yeah, brilliant um, cross from Pedro for that chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, some great interplay. Some, really, I mean, Van Hecker, Joao, Lamptey, all sorts of players were playing really well around that time. And then we get the two goals. Andy, do you want to describe it? Go for it, sir. Well, yeah. I mean, what an amazing. Passage of play. I mean, we you know we got the early goal, and then I thought we controlled possession. Palace weren't pressing us at all, which meant we got comfortable with possession in a way that we didn't against Luton. And then we had uh, so yeah, so we just we just move it on down the on the, the left. I get my sides right. I think a um, couple of couple of poor shots into goal, a couple of classic Albion shots into the defenders, and the ball does come back to us, and then. Lamptey just 
absolutely did a number on the on the fullback. I can't remember who it, who it was that he, that he beat, but he just put in this beautifully lobbed ball, and and it's kind of very similar, like the sort of ball that Gross has been putting in for for people to head in. It just he like, stood the ball up, didn't he? He did, and it and it was right to the back, so it was way over past where the defenders were. So it was only Buenanote and Hinchwood were, were going to be able to get it. So it's sort of like in American football terms, that's a really good sort of like quarterback pass where it's going too far for the defender to get it. So the only person that's got a chance to get it is your wide receiver, and that's basically what Lamptey was doing with this with this ball. And uh, Jack Hinchwood. Um, to quote Warren Aspinall, leapt like a tin of John West. Um, <laughs> that guy, that kid can jump. That kid can jump. And it was just, and the direction of the ball, absolutely, the keeper had no chance for that. Um, just absolutely exquisite um, football from the Albion. Just persistence in retaining possession after like the failed shots. Lamptey just showing us what we've been missing in terms of like having explosive wide play in like, you know, this, this period where we've been struggling without, without um, explosive wide players and just shows what a bit of width can do for you. And then Hinshelwood again, I mean, that kid just gets into um, great attacking positions. He's always looking to run into the box. He's always looking to run forward. And I know people, Think of him as a as a right back because that's what he's been asked to play, but really he's, he is an attacking midfielder, and it, and he's just he's just got great awareness of where to run and when to run there. I just love watching him just ghost in ghost into the box like as often as he does without anyone from the opponents actually noticing that he's there. Uh, he got, he did out jump Buenanote. Buenanote didn't mess it up which was nice that's superb so we're all celebrating and then and then just like it was just one of those incredible incredible minutes where you know in the stadium we're all re-watching the 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 endless replays of the goals going hooray 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 and then and then and then we're there and like and actually watching the broadcast highlights afterwards it's like the cameras don't cut back until Pasco until Pascal Gross is running into the box. It wasn't even the pass from Pedro. He's like, oh, mate, they thought, hang on, we've got to cut back to the game here, not carry on with the replays. And like, Pascal Gross, how, what can you say about this footballer that hasn't been said already? He's running into the box, whether or not he's by his side, but, but he's got three options. He can, he can play it out. He can play it out to the left. Like Ferguson, he's like waving his arms, saying to me, to me, to me, like further out. Um, he could have had a shot himself because he was in on goal, but one or not, he's just coming up behind, just from behind him, banks that little ball in. Like the defenders don't have any right in that beautiful spot, right onto where one or foot is just going to go straight through it, and again, keeper's got no chance. What I love about both and, of them. And, and, the, and, 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 and the Palace defenders are looking like statues and they're just thinking, how did that happen? They're all slamming the floor. Was it Jonathan Pierce that talked about statues? Did he call, did he yeah. call them statues? Yeah. That's great. And they really were. What I love about both those goals, they look like they've gone slightly too far wide and they just seem to curve into the corner. It might be an optical illusion, camera angles, whatever, but they were deadly accurate. And the 
goalkeeper couldn't have got to either of those. Uh, neither of their overpriced goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I have no idea what sort of sound I emitted when that <laughs> when that goal went in. But I think there were like loads of dogs in Moleskoum and Coldine that were like running around, <laughs> going, "What is going on?" Because <laughs> yeah, I was what? screaming my head off. I mean, I mean, it was just insane. The atmosphere at that point. Was had just gone way beyond boiling point. I mean, that was like on the match day special meltdown in the crowd. It was incredible. What scenes! I listened back to the match day special, and um, the second goal had been scored, and I came on and sounded all too nonchalant. It sounded like it well, didn't really matter. It's like, oh, we're we're two nil up. <laughs> it sounded as if it was ages ago, or I didn't care. And actually, it, it was about a minute after the goal because it'd been a mad celebration. And they just started announcing the goal scorer. And of course, that meant that the uh, the ball was coming back Palace's way um, very soon afterwards. So it went from one extreme to the other of looking ridiculously nonchalant to suddenly not being able to talk for a minute while mad, <laughs> mad goal celebrations were going on. I, I, I can tell you what noise I emitted. It was muffled by, <laughs> a, by a, a multiple you know, coat, sleeve, arm, neck grab by various people around me as, uh, as the classic limbs ensued but it was it was fantastic stuff it was great and that was 3-0 wasn't it and that was half time um we're gonna probably have a break when we finish talking about uh the first half for the first half of this podcast but peter i know you wanted to uh to come back in i don't know if we'll have something put your yeah, hand up well, but... i was just gonna say that i think i didn't remember the, well, the last time you beat them by three goals that win on st patrick's day we had reasonably similar we scored yes. our first two goals about within about two minutes of each other. One yeah. of which is that David Lopez free kick that you see on the screen at the Amex all and the time. The third goal yeah. was just after uh, half time, wasn't it? And, the, and the, I think the first was just before that as well. So they were, yeah. they were both near the end of the first half. And yeah, yeah. the third was just after half time, wasn't it? And we, we went from nil nil to three nil after about yes. Can, can about I just say at this point, Beanie, if you're listening, Beanie, I still never will stop laughing about the fact you missed all three goals due to beer queue reasons. <laughs> anyway, back to you, Peter. Sorry. Yeah, just to make that point. And also, didn't you have some stats you want to read out from uh, a regular yeah, contributor to the show? Yeah, they, I mean, they pertain to the whole of the match, I'm assuming. But yes, Raymond the Gent wanted to uh, uh, me to read out the stuff he posted on Seagulls Over London, actually, on the WhatsApp. He said, our victory yesterday was built on the performances of our two centre-backs. Dunk and Van Hecker, and finished by vibrant performances from Pedro, great goal, Grosh, two assists, Lampy, uh, Lampty, one assist, Hinchelwood, goal, Wenonote, goal, all helped by a polished performance from Verbruggen. Verbruggen completed 100% of the 35 passes that he made, including all six long passes. I think that is a a really outstanding stat, by the way. Anyway, he goes on to say, Dunk made 147 passes with 98% accuracy and completed five of his long of his seven long passes. Um, you know, cult hero, local boy, goal scorer against Palace. That must make them even more cheered up. Anyway, um, Van Hecker made 157 passes with 96% accuracy, including successfully completing all 12 long passes. He also made the long pass to Lamptey, which led to the corner from which Dunk scored, and also the pass down the line that Pedro uh, to Pedro, leading directly to Pedro's goal. The team had 69% possession and made a whopping eight out uh, sorry 870 passes with a 94% accuracy. Pretty impressive, he says. I don't disagree with you, Raymond. 
uh, to double negative it. Um, it really was that good. And I think that highlights how good we were. Yes, the uh, so we, we had a bit of a, a step away in the second half in terms of the intensity. And we'll talk about that when we come back in part two. But um, those stats make for pretty good reading, don't they? Particularly in comparison with Luton, where we were bloody woeful. I think our pass accuracy was 77%. Which must be yeah, it was significantly the lowest, I would have think. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I think a lot of it's down to the lack of room. And Luton, to, Luton, to be fair, were absolutely brilliant. There's no question about it. Yeah, they, were the suited, were... they suited the pitch. They suited the, the way they played. But we just couldn't deal with that. They had a lot of pace up front. Adebayo, Adebayo was brilliant. And yeah, it wasn't even the goals because they weren't that great, the goals. But they, we just couldn't deal with his physicality and his pace. He's a good player, isn't he? Yeah. Good player. Um, I think he's the best player we played this season, Adebayo. We couldn't. He's, exa- he's exactly the sort of striker that Dunk struggles against. Big, physical, but also the problem is that normally they're not that quick. But he was also pretty quick as well. Yeah, I mean that Holland guy is not bad, Andy. But I think yeah, I'm genuine. So talking about performance the on the day, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, incidentally, just the final word. Actually, speaking about Luton, just to finish um, part one, uh, difficult place to go. Bingo! An update. We're looking to beat the record. Um, we are not doing badly. We're on course to equal last season's at the moment. We're up to 60 already. And guess who is top of the difficult place to go list? Bingo card. It's not Cray Valley Paper Mill, is it? It's not Cray. It's not, no, funnily enough. Uh, it is Luton Town. Apparently, 10 different pundits. I say apparently. I've logged this information myself. Definitely 10 pundits have said Luton is the most difficult place to go. Um, amongst others, it certainly got... was for us anyway. <laughs> Aston Villa's second on five, I think. And... Also, also true for us as well. Yeah, also true. Yeah, I agree with both of those. <laughs> it's not even Brighton bias. This uh, this little bit of uh, statistical analysis, I have to say. Anyway, let's break for part end of part one. In part two, we'll have further musings and ramblings about the Palace game and any other business. So we'll be back after this short interlude. So cheers, folks. Andy and I are on the red wine. Peter, what have you got? I'm on beer. Um, to be honest, it's pretty tame, um, Cobra. But we're having an Indian tonight, so I thought I'd get in the uh, mood first early on. Honestly. Somebody told me that red wine is actually better with curry than beer, so maybe you should uh, switch over to our... Uh, our no, I've got, I've got to be in the office tomorrow, so red wine's not a good idea. <laughs> and what about you, Will? Now, you've recently turned 18, haven't you? So yeah. not you wouldn't have ever tried it before you turned 18, but now you are legal. Uh, what have you been up to and what have you been drinking? In particular, what are you drinking tonight? You've got to say um, I'm not. I'm not drinking any tonight. I've, I've, been, I've been trying not to drink too often because I don't want You're to get... You're drunk on the, on the fumes of Saturday still, aren't you? No, I don't want to get carried away. Um, I'd, say, I'd say I quite like a Harvey. I've quite liked Harvey's. But um, and I've I've got into the spirit of doom bars. I quite like a doom bar. Um, those two I'd say are my are are the ones I like drinking. I did try cider, but I thought not for me. Yeah, fair enough. Doom bar sounds like what uh, Palace fans might call their uh, their their bar at the grounds nowadays, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh... Oh. 
What a bitch I am. I can't stop myself. And, and yeah. in part two as well, when you were going like, to you know, hold off Palace and just vote about other teams instead. Wasn't I? I wasn't aware <laughs> of that. I certainly have no intention of doing that. There's a bit more to talk about with the Palace game. But before we get into that, Will, let's uh, let's talk about your Albion backstory. So I've already said you just turned 18 in, well, recent weeks, more or less, how many recent months. Um, but tell us about when it all started for you, sir. Well, I... I I didn't I I shouldn't say this too loudly or proudly. I used I used to follow Arsenal quite a bit, oh. Oh. Um, but I I used to but and but I I I followed a bit of Brighton's results. I mean, when I remember my mum, when my mum was told me she was she was. A season ticket holder at for Wifty, uh, no, not Wifty, Goldstone in the eighties, and she st- she started support supporting them from there. And I, do you remember that lockdown game from lo- that lockdown game where we beat Liverpool at Anfield? Um, yeah, was that a goal? And she told me 40, 39 years ago she was at that game um, where they beat Liverpool 1-0. And I was like really shocked and surprised because I didn't expect her to become a good, to become, to, uh, I didn't expect her as a football fan. It took me by surprise. Um, but I, yeah, and a year and a half. Before that, I wanted to start going to live football matches, and yeah. i i started I started with I wanted to go to a few Arsenal matches, but then but tickets were expensive, and it was quite difficult to get tickets. So I said to my mum, "We should try Brighton," um, and because I knew she used to be a supporter there, and um, and I thought. And she was she quite liked that idea. So, but for an amazing, I I followed Brighton, a few of Brighton's results before um, before I went to my first game, um, and I what I did, I did actually see I did actually see a Brighton game live beforehand. It was like it was an Arsenal Brighton match. Do you remember that Webster goal? Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my first game was the Chelsea four-one, and that really that that what took off. Game? That doesn't get you hooked. That 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 changed. I mean, that changed me. That really changed me into a proper Brighton fan, and I started wanting to support them since because I. I loved the camaraderie, the support, the atmosphere, and the fans behind the team, and the passion they showed. I didn't, I didn't know about their backstories in the eighties, nineties, what they'd been through, and and it sort of, it sort of brought me together to it. And and I, I said to my, I asked my mum can we go to more matches? And she said, yeah. And so we booked, and so we got a season ticket, West half season ticket. Then we, then we got it renewed to a full season ticket. And 
I've I've loved the home games and the constant away games. I I prefer going to away games, but I'd say, but I've made amazing group of friends and I've loved the I've loved the fun I've got from Brighton because it takes your mind off things and sort of distracts you from the world you're living in. Yeah. I find that helps in my case as well, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's fantastic, Will. It's great. Welcome to the Albion, Will. Welcome to the Albion. 100%, yeah, 100%. So your mum had an affiliation. You guys live in Archway, don't you, just to... Yeah, Archway. this as well, so you're not... Born one, of, one of the shifty stuff. North London block, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dodgy lot there, Archway. To be fair, you know, following Arsenal at first, if you're in the Archway area, is pretty understandable. That is... No, and peak Arsenal territory, but you've made the right decision. I mean, who wants who wants to support that lot? Eh? You know, they're going to be they're going to be bridesmaids to a title, but you're going to have much more interesting stuff. Uh, and until for... last season, this season, we had a pretty good record against them as well recently. Yeah, so even local bragging rights. If you got mates you went to school with who are Arsenal fans, you could even uh, have the one up on them. When I went to school, well, Brighton fans didn't have bragging rights against Barnet, let alone Arsenal. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and of Even course, people at my school supporting Barney took the piss out of me, and I was like, "Oh, that's uh... it's never a good sign, is it?" Yeah, and Andy's got the Barnet connection as well, of course. Um, oh, your bees, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not, that's not the special of Barnet, more the special fact that uh, a lot of them at school wasn't even their first team; it was like their second team, and they still took the piss out of me from both sides, yeah. like Arsenal and Tottenham fans who also supported Barnet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, swinging things back to the Palace game, just to round things off. Uh, Sheba on the match day special reprised the song I've forgotten about the uh, the passport in your draw song. This is what it's like to be Palace. This is what it's like to be small. This is what like when your passport's stuck in the drawer, stuck in the drawer, stuck in the drawer. So we had that one. But what I loved most about this game was the was the Roy song. We want you to stay. The yeah. ultimate insult. Uh, oh. I think it was it was three nil, wasn't it? I can't remember now. I think that it was, was a, yeah, it was at three. That was at three nil and. It was brilliant. This is this is why for me this actually does make up for the five nil because okay numerically we didn't we didn't get it and it is disappointing that that we we, we failed to like put seven past them because I think with a little bit more effort we probably could have done but I think the the Roy we want you to stay chance were every bit as delicious as a goal because. It was humiliating because you know because yeah the, the 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 few Palace fans that were remaining the steam would have been coming out of their ears at this point, <laughs> thinking they they are really taking the piss now. You know it's just like this is humiliating. Roy would have been listening to it and um, he would have been listening to the the alternate version from the Palace fans. Roy, we don't want you to stay or worse to that effect. <laughs> um, you know probably about the only thing they they were singing all day. <laughs> and, um, it, it was utterly. I mean, there was just the revel, the the, the light headed revelry of the um, of, of the Albion fans. My favourite moment of the entire afternoon, I think, was after we the, the insanity of the third goal was just like the almost unanimous, even the East Stand family section going. You're fucking shit. You're fucking shit. You're fucking shit. You're fucking. It was loud, wasn't it? It was very it loud. It was one of the loudest 
things. I'm so glad we can do this on a podcast. Honed down by the TV companies. Restrictions. But that was tears of laughter coming from me. And that as we were just joining in, I was my throat was just chucking out every single decibel. It was cathartic, wasn't it? It was, it that was, that was it. I think, I think we've done it now. I think we, we've, we've settled that, haven't we? I think we have, I think we've, I think we've done it because I, I think it was every much of a piss taking victory as, as the, as the 5 0 was, to be honest. Absolutely. Without any goal music or back and forth between the PA and, and, was, and the fans. The only thing, the only thing that was missing was, was, it was the frustration as well as so many chances to do that. And announcing mm. that we were restocking the bars. Yes, oh, that was great as well. I've forgotten about that. Was, it. That, was a, that was like the ultimate kick at the end of that five nil game. <laughs> Restock the boss, so you can spend more money to give to us, Peter. Yeah, you were saying about the um... yeah, it was a fresh. I think the frustration of the number of times we should have done it last season at their place. We hammered them. I mean, McAllister alone missed about five golden chances. Could have been the same score, couldn't it? Perfectly good goal disallowed from Estepinian. Sanchez gifted them a goal, and they did absolutely nothing else. We basically hammered them one all. Yeah. You know, the, the one all this season, even we battered them in the second half, didn't we? They didn't basically get out their half really in the second half. The one, there was at least one, was it, where, where we ended up um, going ahead and we dominated for the first 70 minutes and then they got the goal back and equalised. And there was a ridiculous 2 1 at, at the Amex when during lockdown when we had about 25 shots and they had two and they managed to score twice somehow. And Ben Teke became prime Van Basten in the last minute. And it was just like every single one of those bloody games where we we dominated them, and yeah, the irony being that the one win we'd had in a while was actually not that great a performance. We hadn't played that well last season, yeah. but this was both. It was a, a a good performance for most of the game. We played really well. We dominated them, and we got the goals as well. And it was just yeah, yeah. the minute that that Pedro celebration at four one as well was just beautiful. Oh, absolutely incredible! The iconic, the iconic moment. Well, Pedro's been responsible for for the. Two most iconic moments: the Marseille goal celebration to win the group is just incredible, uh, and then the best match of the day end credit scene of all time. That competition is over, people. It's over. Yeah. That was it. I know it's been taken down off the internet now because apparently it might be slightly offensive, but it was fantastic. Also, I have to say we we bookended match of the day on on Saturday. And Cisco's goal at the start, and then uh, Pedro's at the end. Yeah, just, just, just iconic. And yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, obviously, like, yeah, Palace scored a goal through typical. Well, Mateta again, a really good goal. I I tell you what, it was a great header. It was a really good header, Um, but it was just complacency, like we. We're really bad when we're winning games easily. Yes. We think we've won it. And, you know, unfortunately, you do actually have to play until, like, the referee blows the whistle at the end. You can't just say, surely we've done enough now. Can we all knock off a little bit early and head down the pub? Because that does seem to be an attitude that the Albion have in in, um, in these games. But... Was it, but the, the you know the sort of the interplay I think it was between Dunk and Duncan was it Duncan Gross on the but they, it was, they were just like it was just sloppy possession and then we we, we sort of gifted it back to them yeah good, it was Duncan Gross yeah yeah right. good, good, yeah and you know so two senior players not it's like you just they just weren't in the moment and anything remotely 
resembling concentration. With and we had two or three chances to clear it as well once they got possession as well out the wing. Yeah. And then yeah. left Matessa completely unmarked in the middle. Hmm. Yeah, but, you know, that's, you know, we've, we've battered them enough. That's credit Matessa yeah. for that. Absolutely. Insanely. I saw people blaming Verbruggen on North Stand chat for the goal. Are you kidding me? That was a bullet. No one there was at least that. at least one or two saying that he should have done better with it. It's like, how on earth yeah. are you expecting him to get there? That's no, nothing you could have done about that. No. No one's saving that. That's a great header. madness. I mean, if the only thing you could stop is the ball going into the box. Once it's yeah. gone in, you could argue well, Dunk. And mark him a bit as well, try and actually put a bit of pressure on him rather than just leaving him. And yeah. yes, that's in front of the Paris fans yeah. as well, so maybe they've got... They they would have something to gloat about if it wasn't for the fact that they got hammered anyway. But um, I mean, the the other thing as well was um in the post match comments, and I know Roy's under pressure there, but he's um he's defending Parish and saying uh, he thinks it's harsh, but he was also saying you know our fans ex- come to this game and they're expecting to win and they're going to be disappointed. I thought, hang on, were any of their fans expecting to win? If that really win, annoyed me. It's like they were one for like what four seasons or something against us, or something? no three seasons against us. <laughs> yeah, the only time they beat us at home was in the most preposterous XG farce and in- yeah. <laughs> injustice. I'd, I'd if if they'd say, he'd said expected to put in a performance, then that's fair yeah. enough. But yeah. to, to show passion and to fight. But to say expecting to win when they beat us, what, three times in 14 in the Premier League? I suspect yeah. that there yeah. were more fans that expected Palace to win than Palace fans that expected them to win. Yeah, who knows? It's nuts, isn't it? I mean, they um, literally won two in the last, like, about 15 or whatever, and they were against Brentford before Tony came back, who was massively out of form, and they, they were a bit lucky there. And against Sheffield United, where they were massively lucky, against the team we just won 5-2 away to. Yeah. And they lost 5-0 at home at the weekend. On the match with um, Hodgson, just a couple of other bits. Our our friend of the show, uh, my mate Toby, my new Palace buddy, was pretty gracious in defeat. I mean, he he just said, I think Hodgson's got to go. He was saying that there's various different factions within Palace. Some There's a fairly small number of people, I think, he was saying who were being not just want Hodgson to go, but are being pretty disrespectful. I think it's quite ugly with whatever's going on with that. He said there's a much larger group of people who generally think he should go but are and, and we'll probably voice that on match days but who are not in the nasty camp and there's very few that will want him to stay but they do all I think all of them recognize that there's more going on than just the head coach scenario um but it's interesting to hear those thoughts um and uh I mean he, he was asking if there was rumors some of his palace mates heard rumors about um Graham Potter be potentially coming back to us if Deserby left I said, I don't know where they've got that from, but I very much doubt it. That was the other bit of feedback from Toby. But uh, um, I don't think he was seeking a wind-up. I think it's just genuinely stuff he'd heard he wanted to ask about. Um, but we've heard that maybe Steve Cooper's turned down Palace. Could Graham Potter be going to Palace? That could be the thing. It's and he's shaking his head. And Peter wants to get in on this anyway. So uh, no, I, I was, I was going to say, the amusing thing in all this is that they've had four years more than us as well. And they've managed to throw away that money. They've not got anything to show for it. They've got one cup final and one semi-final, I think. Other than that, they've got nothing, really. They've got no new stand that they were talking about years ago. They've got no... You know, they've got a couple yeah, of quality right. players. Their fans actually genuinely still reckon they've, they've got a better team than us, which is hilarious, because they still try and claim online they've got better individual players. Like You've got like three or four quite good players. You know, the ones we mentioned earlier, arguably Anderson. But after that, you can't even compare to us. The difference is we, we go in for like young players who are going to improve and grow. 
and they go in for like kind of tried and tested relatively for a lot of the time and yeah they just aren't even close to us and it's really funny that their fans just stick by this idea that they've got a better squad and it's only down to the manager and that's what they did with Posse they were like claiming that with Posse as well and they're like when Posse leaves you're going to struggle you'll be like down the bottom again it's like well that's happened and now it's Deserve. it's like when Deserve leaves the same thing will happen it's like well yes I mean it, it may be that at some point we'll be struggling but you're, you know, Tony Bloom will come with a lot better manager than your chairman will, probably. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, they're delusional if they think it is about just the coach. There's so much more going on. I do think the most, the vast majority do realise that there's more to it than that. And um, they recognise the difference, the chasm, in terms of the organisation and the structure behind the scenes. Yeah, and the fact that we're willing to... I know we've had a few injuries, I've so been forced to it, but we're willing to give players like Hinshelwood and Bonanosse a chance. They're the yeah. only team in the Premier League, apparently, who haven't started a twenty-one an under twenty-one-year-old this yeah. season. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Given their academy uh, kudos as well. Um, also, we mentioned um, players that are coming back into the equation, and of course, Ansu Fati is another player that's been injured. He was one of five substitutes we made in this game as well. Interestingly, they're split apart a little bit more. Welbeck came on for Ferguson on sixty-nine minutes. Um, we had. Uh, Baleba came on for Buenanote on 79, uh, Estepinian for Lamptey on 80, and then Fatty and Lalana came on for Igor and Joao, respectively, in the 88th minute. A cameo role, of course, but it's great to see Fatty back. It's great yeah. to see Estepinian still. Carrillo will be back this weekend as well, hopefully. Yeah, Mitama's knocked out of the Asian. He's back in training already. Adingra um, next weekend as well, once Ivory Coast have finished. It's starting to come together, isn't it? As well, that really Veltman's not, and I've heard like suggestions that Veltman and Cito aren't far off as well. So, yeah, which we is might actually have close to a full squad soon. We're going to have some really good players not in the not in the twenty. Yeah, once we get a full squad back. Yeah, only moan for the weekend, and this ties in with my post match comments. Um, the pouring efficiency at the game. I had to get the round in at half time. They didn't have any beers poured when I got. I was second in the queue up in the West Upper, and they didn't have beers poured. Are they expecting to make no ale sales in a game when we're 3-0 up, no less, at half-time? Not great. And Peter, as a result of a similar scenario, you missed out on about 15 minutes worth of immediate, spontaneous post-match celebration yeah. North Concourse when we went down there after the game because you were trying to get a drink in. Um, yeah, they I gave could... up in the end because there wasn't any... I mean, we were running out... Of, we were planning on going back to London for, for food, so it like ran Still out of time. things we could improve on, isn't there? However, we met up with the Norwegians again and then we went on to the Evening Star later and we had a great old time. Somehow um, got over there to the lack of beer at half-time then. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, so no, I still managed to get served. It was just about to wait for about a minute and a half for them to serve the drinks, which, given there's 15 minutes for everyone, didn't seem ideal. But anyway, there we go, there we go. Um, Will, final word, if this is about Palace, final word on that. If not, on to another subject. Um, Over to you, sir. Well, um, no, it's actually, it was good to see you on the train back, Peter. Um, it was good to sit you with you and talk about football. And yeah, it's especially on a, a day like a day like this, it's like, you know, you, you want to talk about the game, don't you, so much? And it was, yeah. yeah, really good to have a chat. Yeah, you didn't crowd surf, did you? Uh, like the players did after we got promoted to the Premier League. No, I think I people might like fall over if I'd started doing that. Yeah, we would have seen that on YouTube for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, keeping on an Albion theme, but a general weekend roundup, a couple of other bits. Mark Leonard, who's on loan to Pompey, scored an absolute cracker. He played against Pompey. 
uh, sorry, against Pompey for Northampton. It's only a consolation goal. What a goal. He drilled it in from, I think it was some 18 yards. Uh, it just ricocheted off the bar. And I thought if it didn't hit at the angle it did, it could have gone all the way up the other end and scored. So hard was it hit. Brilliant goal there. Did you actually think that? More or less, yeah. Um, Jake Forster-Kasky scored for Stevenage uh, as well, in what turned out to be a winner. And Zach Ashworth scored for Bolton. I say that. There is an Albion connection because Zach Ashworth is indeed Dan Ashworth's son playing for Bolton. Little does anybody know about that or indeed care. Um, (laughs) Other matters... um, racism rearing its ugly head. There's been loads of stuff in recent weeks. It carried on at the weekends. West Brom against Birmingham, so a you know, black country derby, and apparently West Brom fans in the home ends, I think it's called the Halyards End or whatever it's wherever it is, uh, racially abusing Bakuna. Uh, that's gone to a police investigation. Uh, there was also a racist incident at Bradford, and Ivan Tony has been racially abused yet again. Online and Brentford have a very critical uh, reaction to the pathetic lack of proper um, attention given to it by social media. I think they they alluded to Meta, so I'm presuming this is on Facebook, which sounds a bit weird. You would have thought it would have been a Twitter matter, but um, whatever it is, um, yeah, another matter not being dealt with properly. Pathetic, as always, from social media companies for whom I have nothing but contempt when it comes to such things. Um, Any other business and also anything else you want to talk about to do with the Albion? Um, The women lost again, which is disappointing. Um, Under-21s, I don't know what happened with them or any other low knees, how they've been getting on. Anyone got anything to say? Will, you've got your hand up. Um, I just just want to add a few comments on the racism. I think it's... It's disgraceful that it's still happening now. I mean, it needs to stop. I mean, it's been going. It's been, we 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 sort of expected that we sort of expect this to happen to not to when to stop happening in the two thousands. I mean, it's disgraceful that there's still a few idiots out there doing this. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's getting worse actually as well. I mean. There was a point where it generally seemed to have stopped, but it seems to be getting worse again now. People with social media and with everything that goes on kind of just seem to be carrying on worth more and more. Seems to be most weeks, doesn't it? Which is alarming, yes. to the very least. I have uh, a couple of any other bits of business. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, Would this be to do with Chelsea? Well, no, I was gonna, the first one I was going to say was it looks like we've got a new signing for the summer already, which is quite impressive. Oh, yes. Um, Ibrahim course. Osman, uh, okay. who... Yeah. Sounds like a very quite exciting, quite raw, but very quick winger. Um, as as fits with our January signings, he's only like nineteen, so <laughs> seven signings last year and something made have all been teenagers, which is very Albion sort of thing to do. But it sounds like quite an exciting, you know, quite an interesting signing. And um, yeah, Will's put his hand up. Should, I, should we carry on with this? And you can say something. Are you going to speak on this? Cool. Oh, no, you carry on. Yeah, so if you've got something to say on this, go go for it. And I was going to say, about, I was going to rant about Chelsea afterwards. Okay, well, well, I was going to say on the on the signing, I think I'm really excited with this. Nineteen year old can play anywhere across the front three. Apparently, he's more effective in the wider roles, though. Um, a typical Albion signing. Other people have been um, linked with him. We were linked during the window itself, um, but it's interesting that we sign him outside the window, but with a view to the summer. Great, great bit of business. Typical bit of Albion business. I'm excited by it. I think it's fantastic. 
Um, Dame Will. Club as Adinga as well. Yeah. And on the absentee list, by the way, by my reckoning, I think we've at the moment we're missing, on the, on the basis that Mitama's back, I think we're now missing and see so March, Adingra, although he'll be back and possibly ready soon. Feldman and, and is Milner still injured? I think Milner's still injured, yeah. And good. effectively, essentially Fatty as well, because he only played 10 minutes. Yeah. That's all he could play, really. I mean, it, you know, well, effectively, he's, he's still out. Army, which is good. Somewhere near it, anyway. Right. Yeah. Can I do what I've been waiting to do for a while now, then? Yeah, we'll do that and then we'll, then we'll go back to Will afterwards. Peter, would you like to enjoy. Yeah, I just wanted to say how entertaining it was to see Chelsea get stuffed by Wolves at the weekend um, and boo off or kind of abuse uh, Casado as well, who is struggling a lot there. Their £200 million midfield is just not functioning very well. And it's, I mean, he should have gone to Liverpool. He should have stayed with us, if anything. And we still miss him massively. Um, I I, I was one of the ones who was a bit like pissed off we didn't invest in a midfielder in a window because I thought that we do need, we lack a defensive midfielder. Unless we're going to give Balaba more of a go, because I still think there's, there's potential there. He looks raw, but he's still got quality. He'll only improve by playing. So I'm hoping to see more of him. But yeah, it would have been good to have a, maybe a more experienced option. But yeah, hilarious to see Casado and, and all the Chelsea kind of cronies a billion pounds, and they're like occasionally and they're basically mid-table and getting stuffed at home by Wolves, which is well, hey, Peter. It's time for a coaching change, according to to Bella Silver. Um, wife or girlfriend's wag, whatever partner of um, Tiago. Associate. Yeah, who who quickly retracted her statement after a fuss was made. She posted on social media and was quick to retract it and to say, oh, I'm just, I'm sorry, it's just passion's getting the best of me being a Chelsea fan. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure she's been a lifelong Chelsea fan with her long experienced husband, boyfriend, who joined um, two years ago. You get rid of Pochettino, who do you get in? Who, Who do you... Who do you look at and go for for that role? Because they, they've tried, you know, they've I tried... They try and get well, Deserbi in. I'm sure they could turn him to shit, the same they've done with everyone yeah, I mean, every, There's a problem with that club, but it isn't necessarily the manager, although they don't do a particularly great job, any of them. The problem is the club as a whole is toxic and and it's an absolute farce. And the way they've they've lined themselves up with eight, nine-year contracts, it could actually get really nasty for them financially if they, if they keep failing miserably. I mean, they've taken our last two players of the year and turned them into shit players, basically. It's, you know, Kukare had an awful first season there and is struggling again this season. Casado, who was, I would say, one of the best players in the league last year, has turned into absolute shit. It's quite know, at some impressive. point, you've got to say it's not the coach and it is simply down to the fact that this club, there's something wrong with it at the Todd core of it. Bag, and it's, it's hilarious, yeah. I think. Top ball bag is an absolute disgrace, an absolute shambles. And, and uh, Casado, the only thing consistent about Casado is he's still getting booked regularly. He's not doing any of the other stuff that he was good at. He was um, so brilliant for us. He was superb. Even after he wanted to leave last January, he was still kept up that level. And the, we've not replaced him, and we are missing him because we do concede more goals through the middle. We've got a softer middle, but it's just so insane to see him struggle and getting booed off because he behaved so badly. As did Kukurea, as did Sanchez. Or Sanchez is now reserve at Chelsea, who are below us in the league. Also entertaining as well. I think you enjoyed that little uh, rant. Yeah, I think they wait to do that all day, yeah. <laughs> and Will, back to you for what may be more or less the final word, I think, on the pod. I I, I agree with um, Peter. I think um, got Chelsea don't have... Re- Chelsea don't really have a plan. They don't really have structure... They don't have, they don't 
have the style they want. I mean, the players they just bought, they just decided to buy anyone and they'll think it worked. Um, What they need is a manager who can... What they need is a manager who can tell... Who can who can sort of who who's who's a good manager who's a decent manager and motivate these players and get some decent good enough players and turn them into turn them into good players. I think if they if they had, I think there's lots of decent managers out there they could get, and I think. They they should they should try and go for some of them. Oh, I think so, but I, I agree with Peter that I think there is more to it than that. I think that the whole vibe of the club is the problem, isn't it? I think there's no. I, I think the the the, uh, the the hierarchy are not letting things evolve. They're not appointing somebody in authority to run the whatever you want to call it, director of football, sporting director. And then have a manager slash head coach under that and let that thrive and build over time. I think when you've got a toxic owner, which is essentially what I think they've got at Chelsea, I think it's just, it, it's destined for disaster or at least for underwhelming underachievement. Um, Peter and then Andy, you both. They also, I would say, have a toxic fan base, which doesn't help as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. what I was going to say was, I think there is, the problem is there is no plan. So they, so whereas we will clearly, and it's the same with Palace and I think with other teams in the Premier League as well, we clearly look at, you know, we say, well, we want to buy a midfielder and we want to, be, this is what we fits into our system and we know exactly who we need. Chelsea just seem to be stockpiling young players with the hope that they'll work out in some sort of, there's no team plan, there's no kind of idea of it. It's just literally, we want to buy these youngsters, could Arsenal bid for them or could someone else bid for them? Yeah, they they did seem to be doing that. And the only thing that you'd say now is this transfer window has been unprecedentedly under undersold, isn't it? Or understated. Premier League club spent less than than um, Chelsea yeah. spent on Fernando's Fernandez last year. Yeah, but there's been a wake up call in this January window. It's it's been infinitely smaller amount of spend uh, than than in past windows because I think the penny is finally dropping even for Chelsea. But anyway, Andy. Um, should we go to you and then I think we'll wrap up after that. Um, so, Andy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, this just all under underlines how brilliantly run the Albion are. And yeah. how having an owner that's got a clear vision of where he wants the club to go, hiring people that are going to buy into that vision so that everybody's on the same page, um, so we all move in the same direction. I know there was a bit of unrest last week when... You know, we didn't sign any, make they sort of didn't make any. Well, we didn't panic buy in 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 at the end of the window, which I think a lot of people kind of wanted us to do. But basically, like the guy in charge said, no, this is this is this is the road we're going down, and basically, you know, I'm paying for it. This is my this is my. Decision. You never overspend. And um, and and, and um, um, uh, Chelsea, you know, they're not only not only not on the same page. They're not even in the same book, these people. They're just, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're all over the shop. And, you know, I know someone that used to work at Chelsea and um, it used to be a great place to work. And I've heard that it's not. And that person no longer works there. Um, and it, it, it just, it just turned terrible after the change of ownership. And, 
it's just basically people that haven't got a clue who they're doing. I don't know what Win Stanley's doing there, but he's doing an absolutely useless job. Um, you can blame the manager all you like, but you know it looks like Moises Caicedo might be onto his fourth manager. You know this year um, since 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 his, since his move, which is just like absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yes, managers haven't been great, but I think the players, the attitude. You know, it's just not a happy place. There's too many distractions. There's too much money. Not enough focus on actual football. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's been quite funny that we've been able to spend quite a large part of this evening just bemoan, you know, have you know, laughing at terrible organisations when ours is really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, Chelsea and Palace are just. Example, you know, we, they want to they want to be us, but they haven't got the first idea about what it is that makes us tick. They don't understand why we're having the success that we're having now, and it's not an overnight success. It's a it's, it's a success that's been that's come over the last you know ten twelve years, but it started by laying the foundations. We didn't just dump the house on a piece of marshy land and then let it sink. Um, after like six months, we we built it. We built it from the ground up, and we've done it the right way. And this uh, is the beauty of it, isn't it? Because because it's a long term project. Anyone who's realising our process now would have to be several years behind us, at the least. Even if they nailed it as well as we did in the long term, it would they take... also wouldn't have Tony Bloom's system as well. Exactly. Yeah. They'd, even then, even if they do everything else right, they're still going to be further behind us. And not as good as us over a longer period in terms of the way it's run. And yeah, things can go wrong. We're not overgloating here. We know we realise a moment could come and a number of things could go wrong, and it could it could all run, um, spiral down. But the point is, we've built slowly, as you said, Andy, carefully, gradually from good foundations. We're reaping the rewards, and anyone that hasn't done that and is seeing our success rates as it currently is now. Is is realizing? I think deep down they know that's why it's successful. Uh, the the fans do. They they can see what's gone on here. They know that we've been planning this over time, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be on the right it's, side. Oh, of it. it is a thing of beauty. It's fantastic. Yeah. And Will, should we go with you? Actually, you wanted to come back in. I'm going back to Palace's situation. It sort of reminds me of Hutton a bit towards the end of his tenure. I think Hewton, what, um, Hewton struggled a bit with the players. The fans weren't acting as the Palace fans were acting, but um, they were, but they were getting a bit frustrated, and they wanted a more progressive new manager who could manage them more effectively. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Absolutely. Well, on that note. Can I just say thank you to all three of you for joining me, Will, for our first Zoom chat and one of our earlier pod uh, contributions. Uh, thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a great time. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure, sir. It's been a pleasure. Great, as always, to have you uh, join us as well, Andy. Uh, I'm sure it, it didn't take much persuasion on this occasion. but uh... no, I was, uh, couldn't wait to talk about this one. Brilliant. What a, <laughs> what a cracking week it's been in retrospect. Absolutely. Fantastic. 
Absolutely. And likewise with you, Peter, I know you were itching to chat about this one. It's been great, hasn't it? You know what you mean. Yeah. And um, with that signing that we mentioned and with the way things have panned out over the whole week, it's been fantastic. We've got Spurs coming up at the weekend. Match Day Special will be the next podcast. Peter, you're joining us, actually. I am, That'd yeah. be nice. Will may do, and he's not, because he's going to be in Rome. La-di-da. Um, but um, for, anyway, stay tuned, folks, for that one. That will be the next episode. And until then, stand or fall. Up the up. Sports Social Podcast Network.